Hey, I'm Mike Myers, and this is the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, which is geared to support songwriters and producers to gain confidence and turn pro. I bring on industry experts to help you improve and monetize your skills, engage better in the writing process, and build healthy habits to create a sustainable career that you love. Caffeinated, inspirational, conversational. What's up, friends? Mike Myers here with the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, episode number 84, Nick Wheeler. Nick is the guitarist of the All-American Rejects, and I know what you're thinking. I I know the All-American Rejects. Of course you do. They've had a string of successful singles. Move Along, Swing, Swing, Dirty Little Secret, What Gives You Hell. Uh, They've worked with tremendously successful producers. Producers I geek out over, like Eric Valentine, Greg Wells, Howard Benson. We're going to get into Nick's process, some stories from the road, but also to talk about his new studio that he's built here in Nashville. What is it like to spend time thinking about, okay, this is my opportunity from the ground up to build a studio. What's that process like? So we're going to talk about all of that in this episode and probably a little bit more. So here we go. Episode number 84, Nick Wheeler. There's so much I want to dive into because, you know, everyone knows the history of your band or should in terms of like, you know, I guarantee they've heard your singles. And what's interesting I find about like the All-American Rejects and also, you know, we get into your work. I feel like you guys have had a, a very good run where a lot of bands have like a very short span, but you've had a pretty significant run. Well, I'm a single adult with no kids and I've been touring for half of my life. So it's just, yeah, yeah we were, we were just really busy and we worked really hard, um, from, I mean, shit from 2000, 2000 to about 2012. And I think in doing so, like we really invested in, you know, our future as a band and we've been able yeah. to, you know, even though we haven't put out a full length album in, you know, 11 years, um, we've been able to sustain, you know, a career and, you know, being able to go out and tour and, you know, yeah. trickle out a single here or there. But yeah, just just keep doing it. So we've been really fortunate. It also, you know, the 2000s, like we we struck right at the right time. Like we were yeah. doing rock music when guitars and shit were on the radio. So um, that really helped, too. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, we've been, we were, we're really lucky and we worked really hard. So I, I do think it's a combination of those two things. <laughs> and you worked with some really awesome producer. I mean, Howard Benson, Eric Valentine, who I love, I mm-hmm. binge on his YouTube channel a lot when he's too, just breaking yeah. down songs, which you guys were on. You were breaking down one of his, which I well, think was, yeah. I saw that he was doing that and I reached out to him and I was like, dude, I was like, can I, can I come over? (laughs) (laughs) So next time Mike and I, he, Mike and I are the kind of recording nerds slash historians in the band. So I was like, next time we're in town, can Mike and I come over and geek out with you on one of our songs? And, you know, thankfully he said yes. And that was, that was so fun. I love that shit. Because it's like, I love, I geek out about the analyzation of like, okay, what is that? And just the Mm -hmm. deep dive of like, what exactly is going on there? There's a lot more, which leads to the question was recording. You said, you know, geeking out. Has that always just been the thing that like, Mm. yeah, music and recording, they go together. Sometimes people see them as separate things or later on they understand, oh, you know, I should get into this. Right. And there are those that have always been like hovering over the console and watching people and asking questions. Well, first, you know, I mean, I I was a kid. I wanted to just be in a band, you know, Um, and in middle school, 
when you know when playing guitar was cool and like girls started to notice and stuff like everybody fucking played guitar so if i wanted to be in a band i couldn't just be another guitar player so i learned drums um you know i was in percussion in school bands so that helped that um that transition there you know played bass in a couple bands so i just whatever i could do to get in a band like i just had three bands going at all times <laughs> um and then Growing up in a like a small town in Oklahoma with no all age venues, the only venues you could play were bars, and if you were going to play in those bars, there were like college bars, so you had to play covers, a lot of country shit. So, uh, if we wanted to get our music out there, we had to record it because there was nowhere to play it outside of our bedrooms and our garages. You know, we were too young to like put on house shows or anything like that. That wasn't really even a, a thing in my in my town. Um, so. I picked up a Tascam four-track recorder and just started recording my bands or just recording myself, <laughs> recording myself doing anything but singing. Uh, it's a, <laughs> in- a lot of instrumental tracks. But yeah, I just started recording the bands I was in. I recorded a couple other local bands eventually. Um, and then once my band took off, I was, I was just kind of the guy that recorded all the demos, and I, I yeah. loved it. Um, that's the part, if I look back on my... 30 plus years doing music like that's my favorite part of the process is like just creating something from the ground up and being in the studio and trying shit and you don't have that anxiety of a live performance where if something goes wrong (laughs) yeah like you're fucked i like the idea of like okay there's a problem let's let's fix it like I love that. <laughs> it's a lot of s- discovery too, because it's like this is where yes. you can chase sounds, and this is where it's like, what if we layer this with this? Oh, no, you're right. Weird. It's all about discovery, and yeah. I feel like even though I've been doing it and I've been around it in some you know really awesome uh, scenarios for so long, I, there's I still feel like there's an endless well of shit I need to learn. Yeah. Um, and there's always something you can learn, even if it's just learning somebody else's process. It's like, oh, that's really cool the way you do that. <laughs> yeah. That would be really helpful and make my workflow way more efficient. So I'm going to steal that. And then, you know, like with anything else, like your method just becomes this am- amalg- amalgam, amalgamation, yeah. whatever that <laughs> word is, of all these experiences and inspirations and your own uh, trial and error. And it's just then it just becomes you. I think those are the people that end up doing recording well is because they're, they know it's a constant learning process. They're geeking out over watching other people do it. And they're like, well, what did you do right there? I feel like Mm -hmm. half the time before I moved to Nashville is just watching people going to Susan being like, Hey, I'm not going to ask you. I just want to watch you do, which was a total fucking lie. I would ask questions like 10 seconds and be like, why'd you do that? And just like (laughs) lean in and be like, that's really cool. Like, it's just, but to, to actually understand, you have to watch people and their process. And then you're like, yeah, an amalgamation, like everybody's process is essentially you because you took Mm -hmm. little bits and pieces and that's your thing now. Right. Absolutely. And then, like I said, mix that with just trying shit on your own in the studio and just coming across stuff that like you're like that's fucking cool i'm doing that every single time from now on yeah i'd I'd love that that discovery and then just getting to implement that stuff and try stuff out i don't know i've always kind of been a nerd about learning i wasn't in school i hated school (laughs) i hated school it was was the worst i don't know what it was i don't know if it was the subject matter i don't know if it was the the idea of getting tested on it or graded on it i don't know but ever since i dropped out of college I have been learning constantly. 
which <laughs> sounds ironic and like an oxymoron, but it's I'm doing it on my own. It's like what what is what is Ryan say on the office? He's like oh. <laughs> lead me but only when I'm in the mood to be led. Well, <laughs> like, <laughs> I I think it's because in in school it's basically what makes it uninteresting is because it's yes or no, right or wrong. In oh. self-discovery of like what the recording and it's that's not nece- necessarily what's right or wrong. It's like that's right, but is it the right right? I it's don't know subjective. if it is. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like, well, it's wrong, but it's not really wrong in these scenarios. And <laughs> totally. that's what I think is like what makes it interesting that dives in. Like, I probably have read more books now in the past three or four years than I have ever in school that I didn't care. Right. But now totally. it's applying to the things that I know. If I know this little bit, it might fucking move me a little bit closer. To what it, moves the needle forward, I guess, a little totally. bit in the direction. Unfortunately, though, when you read so many books as an adult, you don't get a free personal pan pizza from you, Pizza Hut you anymore. Don't, <laughs> you don't get that. No. And I, I don't get the dark. What, what was, was it, that? The, was that the the book it? Yeah, program it was or the something? book it. You get like five during the summer, and it's like great. There you go. And I'm like, oh uh-huh. sweet. No, nope. you get a four dollar pizza. No, sweet. it's just, and I had to pay for the books too, and then they came here, right. and I don't get any. I have to. <laughs> order a pizza maybe and that's what yeah. i'll do but i think maybe that's what makes it uh yeah why school is not interesting because it's a lot of yes no right wrong where mm-hmm. the process of discovery and like recording and songwriting it's like yeah that might be the answer it might not but right. that's okay you're totally right i th- I think i think for me I, I i think it was literally just the idea of going somewhere i, I was supposed to be learning the material and then being tested on it because even in college i literally just took only music classes you weren't supposed to do that unless you were a music major and you couldn't be a music major without being in the marching band that played a football games which i had no interest in doing i was like fuck it i don't basic classes whatever i'm just gonna take music classes i'm probably not gonna finish college anyway so let's just do what i can i hated the classes so i would I i was living at home with my parents i would just be like all right cool go into class you guys bye um, and then I would go to the coffee shop and I would read my textbooks. I would learn, but I would do it on my own time in my own environment. And yeah, I've, and ever since then, like needless to say, that was my first and last year of college. Um, but ever since then, I've just been like really into learning but on my own time. I even yeah. tried going back to school during COVID. I did Berkeley um, online, which did help fill in some gaps because mm-hmm. I've been self-taught in recording. Yeah. Um, you know, and just, you know, I've been in like, you know, like you said, I've been around great producers and great engineers and I've learned a lot from watching, but I was like, there's probably some shit, like some like actual theory that I should learn. And yeah, I learned some of that, but again, it was kind of a school environment and there were assignments. (laughs) I was just like, like, (laughs) it's just something when it's just like, now you must do this. It's like, yeah, "Eh." it's just like, but if they were like, Hey, if we finish this song, we can move on. It's like, contextually that feels better than just like and here's the test of like how many mm-hmm. hertz does it get to the and it's like okay and okay <laughs> um you know don't get me wrong i love memorizing shit like what um what pitch um like each like frequency measurement mm-hmm. is you know learning where yeah. learning where you know middle c and all that shit is on a frequency spectrum but i like i'm a nerd for that shit but also like what i'm kind of spoiled because now i get to come into the studio every day and just work on whatever I want to work on. Yeah. Yes, I might be in the middle of a project that has deadlines, but there's so much that goes into that. It's like, am I going to 
you know, edit and tune vocals today? Or am I going to just fucking play guitar and do a bunch of overdubs? Like it, I can, yeah. I can do whatever I want. So kind of spoiled. That there, isn't guess, an option but... on a test where it's just no. like, like tune vocals. <laughs> just, just answer the ones you want. Fucking overdubs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Fucking overdubs is going to be this. But it's interesting that you mentioned that because I only went to college for a year. And I did the same thing Hell where yeah. I lived with home and I was like, hey, I'm going to class today. Totally didn't. I went, got a bagel, got coffee. <laughs> I would listen to music. I would write some stuff. I would hang. And then, but maybe, oh, don't get me wrong. I did that too. Yeah. I wasn't a total dweeb, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I did also learn some shit on my own. But I think that's awesome that it, it, that it led to that. Now, eventually, where did you, you know, when it comes to building your own studio, that's yeah. a whole other thing because you can have a setup, you can have like a room. Like right now, it's like this is a studio, which is supposed to be a bedroom, but like you know, we soundproof it. Sure. Yeah. But at what point did it was like okay, I'm gonna start building a studio, and I'm gonna like really get this going. I mean, so yeah, so I I, I built a freestanding studio. It's in my backyard. It's not a commercial studio. I am. I do rent it out to friends. Um, there's a, a. It's got isolation and it's a great drum room. Yeah. So nowadays, with everybody making records in their bedrooms or in you know a spare room or whatever, not everybody has the means um, to record like live drums. So I will rent it out to friends um, to do that occasionally. I've got some buddies coming in next week um, to track some drums. So set up for that's going on right now, but. I think it's when you build a studio or set up a space, I think it's all about your needs and your workflow. Yeah. For me, you know, like I said, I've been recording since back in the Tascam four track days. And that was literally my childhood bedroom is where I did that. Um, and then every house I lived in after that, probably 10, 12 different places, there was some sort of studio setup, whether that was a, you know, my Dell uh, computer. Dude, with you got Cakewalk. a Dell. You got a Dude, Dell. I got a Dell. I, my first computer that I bought myself was a Dell in like 1998, and I got Cakewalk. <laughs> um, that was my DAW um, after after the Tascam. Yeah. And then, you know, then I that eventually went to figuring out how to work on a Mac because like Macs were new and cool, and everybody was using them. And Pro Tools would only work on Mac back in 2004, whenever I got Pro Tools for the first time. Um, so, but it was back in the days where Pro Tools not only would only work on Mac, it would only work on Mac OS 9. So the laptops that were out were like, it was like the first generation MacBook Pro, which which shipped with OS X. Um, and so I had to partition the hard drive and boot up to OS 9 anytime I wanted to work and then shut down and boot up to OS X whenever I wanted to like check my email. <laughs> so yeah, back in those days. Um, but anyway, all that to say, um, I'm full of those like back in my day anecdotes. I'm realizing that's where I'm at in my life. <laughs> but uh, Plus, me- I, I'm around so many young artists and young, uh, our, our crew guys on the road are yeah. 10, 15 years There's younger. A- and so like, I'm really turning into the back in my day guy. It's but, weird when people uh, are like, I was born in 2003, 2000. And it's like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Not only do they not remember 9-11, they weren't even fucking Fuck alive no, yet. I it's no insanity. Idea. Um, so, so, um, so that was kind of dark, but you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> 
That's okay. But it is. It's a historical <laughs> moment that you imagine everyone was there. No, no, it I is. wasn't bored, but my parents told me about it. Hmm? Dude, soon people are going to be alive that don't remember COVID. It's going to be insane. Yeah. Um. But anyway, all that to say, what are we talking about? Studios. Yeah. Uh, all that to say, everywhere I lived, I had some sort of studio set up. And they got a little, you know, embellished and bloated th- throughout the years. But it was always a spare bedroom or something like that. Um, in my last house here in Nashville, there was a great space. It was one of those, you know, how all the houses here have like a top room that they just call like a bonus room. Yeah. Like, nobody knows what they're for. And you're just like, um, okay, cool. And it's got a window yeah. there. And sometimes and the ceilings, it's like, it's yeah. literally, it would, it would, some, in most houses, I feel like it would be the attic. They just happened to drywall it in yeah. and call it a bonus room. So it was that. Um, and there was kind of like this little side area where I could set up a drum kit. Oh, that's awesome. And that's usually where I would record drums or vocals. Um, it was, it was nice, but it still didn't have enough isolation to where I could track something without headphones. Oh, okay. Um, every, every space I've ever been in has been a headphone space. Mm-hmm. So if we're tracking drums, I'm wearing headphones. If we're tracking vocals, everybody's wearing fucking headphones, <laughs> which is fine. Yeah. But I, I just got to the point where I was like, I, I feel like the stuff that I'm working on and the stuff that I want to be working on and the workflow that I'm working towards requires some you know something a little more traditional as far as a studio setup goes um i like a large control room with the couch where everybody can hang and we can write or you, there can be a band hanging out watching drum tracking or a vocal tracking session and everybody can hear what's going on and people can like chime in with ideas and it's much more collaborative than only the people who are playing and hitting buttons get to hear what's yeah. happening you know uh, so I love that. I love the, you know, there's more collaboration as far as that goes. I love the idea of actually getting to set up a live band and then I'm in another room not having to wear earplugs or headphones and you can kind of get a sense of a song, um, that way, or I can be in the live room with them. You know, there's, there's, there's just more space and more possibilities and more options because every band and every artist is different. A lot of bands never play a song until after it's recorded and then they learn their parts but some bands still like jam and write in a bedroom or a rehearsal space or a garage and you're like cool we'll set up and play me the song and we'll you know then we'll fuck it up and go from there oh and also there's a bathroom in here that's the other thing (laughs) people can use the bathroom they don't have to go into my house and I got tired of people coming into my house to work Uh, like what if I don't want to clean the fucking kids you know what I mean (laughs) Like, I don't, I don't want people seeing how I live. I am very OCD and it's very clean, but I don't want, just like school, I don't want to have to clean it because you're coming over. It is. It's kind of like when you have guests over, it's like, oh shit, they're coming over. Okay, let's just get this. Re- you don't have yep. to be always, the house doesn't have to be on call and like always, presti- like exactly like this. Right. That's my space, man. Stay out of my space. You can come swim in my pool, but you can't go in my house. To use the bathroom. Don't use the bathroom in the pool either, but I do have a bathroom. <laughs> the separation between house and space. I think like it's just mm-hmm. like also too, like you can leave like your workflow yeah. and actually go in your house and be like, cool, that's one space. Mm-hmm. And then this is this is like, cool, this is me getting ready to record. Right. And I think a lot of people 
will relate to that, especially because of working from home over COVID. It's like you have to designate a part of your house to work in if you if you have the means for that. Yeah. Um, you know, for a lot of people, it's probably their, their kitchen island or their dining table or whatever. But like even even though I love what I do, there was always a place in my house where I would work. And if that was upstairs, I would just get that feeling when I was going, maybe I'm going upstairs to do something else. Yeah. And I'm like, I feel like I'm going to work. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, and now, you know, I'm in a position to where there's a place outside of my house that I work. My, granted, my commute is only about 40 feet. Yeah. But, um, but it's something. Um, it just that, that like... It's just that separation. 30 second yeah. walk to back to the house to decompress and reset and be like, okay. I'm going to like do something normal. And I think what's great about the space that you built, it's a, it's again, attuned to what you need. And that's over yes. a series of time. You've had different series, you've had different setups, different mm-hmm. things. And now it's like, okay, what would be my space? What be right. like the perfect space for me and what totally. I need? And it doesn't have all, you know, other things that like, fuck, why do I need? I don't need that. I just right. need this space, this amount. This would be ideal for people are writing, people are setting up. And that's mm-hmm. it. You don't have to yep. rent out anything. Yeah, I mean, and you know, even after the fact, after it's built, I'm realizing like, oh, I didn't need an ISO booth. I never use a fucking ISO booth. I like making the type of music where a vocalist can be in a big vibey room. Yeah. And they don't you don't need that super tight pop or hip hop kind of vocal cuz I don't work on that kind of stuff. Um now it's just kind of the ISO booth is storage. I throw some amps in there. I throw some mic stands in there. Um, I could have added that to my live space. Like that's, that's where the piano could, could have gone or something. But, but yeah, for the most part, I do find myself, there's a reason that studios are built the way they are. And the way that the flow is, is because it's tried and true and it works great. And there's a lot of that in here, but you're right. The way I wired everything the you know just the way the gear is laid out in the control room like ergonomically like is, yeah. is all is all to my specifications and my preferences which i think is awesome now like for you if you're working with someone what is your flow and your process of like you know from pre-production and it can vary it does vary yeah i've i learned a lot from the experiences i got to have with um, Eric Valentine, Greg Wells, Howard Benson, Tim O'Hare, all of them were different. Yeah. And there are things that I really enjoyed about all of their processes. And there are things that I would never want to do again for most of those processes <laughs> yeah. too. And so I can tell that, I mean, I, I think it does help be having been an artist and, you know, still, still an artist, um, you know, deep down, but I, I like to cater to the artist as much as possible, yeah. I guess. How do you want to approach this? When it comes down to specifics, like are we going to track drums first or are we going to do that last? It's That's really just based on budget and time. It's like I would love to sit here and figure out everybody's part and do drums first, you know, and build it from the ground up. But that's really – nobody has that kind of time or budget anymore. So – Usually you're working off a demo or you're just kind of throwing in some, you know, program drums that everybody's going to track to. And then at the end of the day, bring the drummer in, knock those out because you're going to quantize the shit out of them anyway. Everybody does. So if you want to be competitive, you're probably going to do that. You know, as far as like overdubbing and the flow and like 
what we do. I always look to the artist. I'm like, what sounds fun? What do you want to do next? Like, yeah, who, you know, who's, oh, you're tired of playing fucking guitar for the last two days. Cool. Let's, let's get somebody else in here. You know what I mean? And also, you know, I've learned when we, when we made uh, move along with Howard, we did the drums first. We were very well rehearsed. when We went in there was a big pre-production process, which again, I love that process, but not all bands have the ability yeah. or the means to have pre-production. Um, you know, with Howard, it was like a week. With Eric, it was like two weeks. You know, there was pre-production. We were rehearsed. We did drums. We knocked them out in two days. And then for the next month and a half, it was guitars, bass, vocals. And our drummer was <laughs> bored out of his fucking skull. So I, I, I try to keep everybody engaged. If yeah. it's a solo artist, obviously, like me and that artist are constantly working the entire time. But if it's a band, it's like, all right, let's sprinkle in some vocals so the yeah. singer, you know, gets some action, but then they also get some proper vocal rest and you're not saving all of the vocals for and the We're going to do it all right now. Uh-huh. You know, and again, sometimes that's how it has to be. Sometimes Yeah. Sometimes the vocalist or the drummer or somebody like only has a certain number of days and that's where actually I think the term like producer comes in because you're like, okay, how much money do I have to work with? How much time do I have to work with? What is my dream? Like, what is my dream scenario? How much do I want to get done? And mm-hmm. then how do I do that within these parameters? And I think that's, I think that is where the producer part and that word comes into play. I think the rest of the time, it's more just like being like a director and a collaborator. You're a good people reader. It's, it's, it's like you have to pick up the vibe of like, what are they feeling? Oh, they're not feeling it. Or it's just like, I can oh, tell yeah. the drummer's feeling a little like, okay, let's engage mm-hmm. and like bring them there's back a into lot of There's a lot of psychology. My favorite, my favorite thing ever um, is, yes, well, you know, I, I know this from being in a band, you yeah. know, for people who are very different people who have very different personalities, you learn to read each other and play off each other and you know, you know when to approach or when to lay back. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've learned from that training that, you know, all artists are the same. All bands are the same. There are like four or five different personality types and everybody in every band inhabits one of those. Like, <laughs> so you do kind of learn how to communicate, you know, say to a drummer or, a bass player, like, you're like, what if, you, you, like, you have a part in your mind. You're like, yeah. I know exactly what this fucking needs to be. How do I get them to come up with it themselves? That's my favorite puzzle. That is such a good puzzle because it's like, you know, you want them to stumble across the idea be like, well, what totally. if I do this? <gasps> you know, that's great. I, you know, that's exactly what it needs. But getting them to that point <laughs> and that but space. But I, I, will, I will say, and I, I've been I've been guilty of that before. I have done that successfully a few times. And yeah. it's always like, oh, my God, I can't believe I pulled that <laughs> shit off. But I, I will say... If I like if I have a drum fill or a fucking guitar riff or something in mind, just something like that, and I'm like, I really want this person to do that. Rather than just like pick up their instrument and be like, Can you just do this? Oh fuck it. Let me I'll just yeah. do it. It's like what it like what if you did something like this or with this kind of vibe and you're a little vague about it? then they might stumble upon what you're thinking about or they might come up with their own version of that. Yeah. And that's what makes their band and their art unique when you're working with the band like i work with a lot of solo artists where i am the band and i have to play everything which is great and it can be a lot of fun but if i only did that everything would fucking sound the same 
Um, so I feel like when I'm working with the band, it's like that's an opportunity to actually inject other instincts and other playing styles into stuff that I'm working on. Um, so if I'm like, oh, you know, something like, uh, you know, whatever. And they're like, okay, cool. Or I could kind of do that, but with this extra little bing, whatever. And you're like, that's it. And it's like, oh my God, I love that. That's you. And that's kind of what I wanted to hear. Like it's the best of both worlds. I feel like cultivating the ground for them to also get permission to be creative, but yes. also you're giving them it just a little bit of a guideline. Like you're almost like guardrails. Totally. Like, hey, you've got some room to move around here, but <laughs> totally. like, can we just keep it like still on this track? Right. Turn off the wah pedal and do it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the phase, but maybe if we just like turn that off for a second. Metal Zone is a really cool pedal, but I don't, why don't we just take that off? I don't think every guitar needs chorus and doubled. It's, then it's just kind of like, yeah. <laughs> Hey, it's Mike, and I just wanted to jump in the middle of this podcast to ask you this question. Have you ever struggled to get a great demo? Have you even outsourced this and, you know, went to other people, you spent a lot of money and you get it back and you're like, I don't think this is worth it. Listen, at this day and age, you need to be doing your own demos. There's so much technology at your hands and you've probably searched at YouTube looking for examples, but you went down this rabbit hole and you're even more confused. What I want you to do is go to songwritingforguitar.com and look at our free training series, DA 101 with Madeline Finn. Now, Madeline is one of our coaches, an extremely amazing songwriter. You know, she's racked up over 24 million, yes, million streams on Spotify. She's had multiple placements, plus she was a top 70 contestant in American Idol. So she knows a thing or two when it comes to music, and she has a great series breaking down the process so you can start doing your own demos from home home. This is kind of your go-to where you don't need anything else. So go to songwritingforguitar.com, scroll down to our free training series, and click DA 101. All right, so let's jump back into the episode. Do, do you tend to geek out on like different combinations of pedals and like mm -hmm. combinations of amps and just like you know, yeah. what is your, you know, one of your like secrets of like, I love this combo. And I always get like this, like mm -hmm. this particular sound. If I'm playing guitar on a project, yeah, I need an AC 30. Yep. I would say a plexi, but I've been playing this orange rocker 30 for a while and it's fucking great. I okay. love it. Yeah. But pro probably a plexi, an AC 30 and a plexi and something, something quirky like a JC 120 or I'm loving my, uh, my little tweed champ right now. Okay. Like that thing's fucking cool. Um, <laughs> I'm like, all I need is this oh, and this <laughs> and this and this and this. Um, no, really like I love my firebird because it can be big and chunky for rhythm yeah. shit, but it's got those mini humbuckers. So it can also kind of sound like a telly if you need it to kind of cut through but, the middle sometimes. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. give me a firebird, a fucking AC 30 and some kind of boost pedal, whether it's a tube screamer or a fucking, uh, Red Snapper is another one of my go-tos. Um, the the Zvex shit's great. Super Hard On is one of my one of my favorites. Um, honestly, yeah, a guitar, a pedal, and an AC30, and and I'm good. And if I'm playing on a project, there's probably a tone in that track that has that combination. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I do love geeking out and I'm like, and I do, it doesn't always work out. Sometimes I'm like, I think, feel like this needs to be weird. So I'll break out, you know, my fucking giant, you know, uh, RS modulator pedal and yeah. patch in my space echo and then be like, this is either going to be amazing or this <laughs> is the worst idea I've had today. Um, but yeah, I, I love, I love just trying stuff out and bringing in the toys. And that's another thing that I, I feel like artists don't have the opportunity to do as much anymore because mm-hmm. everything is so in the box. So when they come in here and it's like, I'm going to go get some toys and I come back with a fucking armload of pedals. Yeah. Um, you know, and then we run synths through them or, you know, anything tactile that the artist can also participate in um, is, it's just a lot of fun and, just kind of adds to their experience. Yeah. But I think it has it has to be because I forget the statistic was every day 70,000 songs uploaded to Spotify something around there. It's like 60 or 70. So Christ. it's just like you can either yes, be exactly like something or there's there has to be something that cuts through that's just like what the hell was that? That was weird. Right. A good weird where it's just like kind of what you said either like, you know, this is either going to be fucking amazing or it's like, this is the worst disaster I've created today, but let's find out and see what happens. Totally. No, and you're totally right. I mean, everybody has the same fucking plugins. When I hear Decapitator on Toms or, you know, or something, I'm like, I know exactly what that is. That's why I'm really falling in love with the ability to use more analog Mm -hmm. shit. Anything proprietary that leads to either... A, a trademark sound of mine or of the artists. You know, I even went as far as like researching on how I could build a reverb chamber in the attic Ooh, here. Shit. I don't think <laughs> I have the the time or the means for that or the money. I God knows how much that would cost, but that would be fucking awesome to have my own like reverb sound. I remember Eric Valentine had a chamber. Um, when we worked with Greg Wells, we got to work in the Village Studio D. It had its own chamber. Um, you know, and if you're ever you know, lucky enough to work in a studio that has like EMT plates, like fuck. But that's like proprietary, especially a chamber. Cause like that's a yeah. space. That's not just like a piece of gear that anyone can own or a plugin that anyone can own. I love that proprietary shit. And then I think that also, you know, if the song is good, the material has to be fucking good. If it's good, then you geek out as much as you want. If it's not good there, you have some like, uh, some, some like homework to do, but but yeah, if the material's good and you can do something unique with the sound, I, I think there's a, a better chance that you'll cut through the noise. I mean, like you said, there's so much fucking noise yeah. and there's no gatekeeper no, anymore. No, there like, isn't. There's, I mean, I don't even know how you judge success. But I think cutting through the noise, I think this is refreshing to hear the process of what you're talking about. Of like, just try it. Like there's that experimentation is where you actually stumble on the good shit. Yeah, it may be something you're like, God, that's the worst combo to ever use. Or you're going to be like, oh my God, I'm going to file that away. And right. I'm going to remember that. And people are going to think I'm crazy when I mention this next time. But then I'm going to show <laughs> and they're going to be like, shit, this is amazing. Right. And I I, I think, you know, and ev- everybody does this. Any writing session I'm in, somebody's like, we should do something like, like, not this, but something like it. You know, everybody has the disclaimer and it's, yeah. I think that's part of the process. Uh, it's kind of your insurance policy. I think it's like, I have a really terrible idea, you guys. 
check this out. (laughs) (laughs) And then when it, if, if it's amazing, you're like, like you, you kind of look like a mad scientist, like in the best way. And then you can be like, you, you have that to draw on next time. Next time you're looking for something wacky in that way, you're like, I did this thing this one time, check this out. And then you can come at it with more confidence. But, um, but yeah, it's like, um, you know, I'm finally getting around to reading that Rick Rubin book, um, like the mm-hmm. rest of the world. I feel like I'm the last person to crack it open, but um, I haven't read it yet. So it's, it's good. I it's really it's, good. Yeah. But his whole thing is like just going, going about everything and going about creativity, especially creating art with like this, like childlike wonder, like mm-hmm. with no judgment or preconceived opinions, just like, yeah, let's try it. See what happens. And I think that's I think that's really cool. I think that's that's what you have to do. And you, yeah, yeah sure, protect yourself and say like, guys, this this idea might be fucking terrible, but let's try it. But I think this goes back to if I can connect school. The problem with school is like <laughs> Call back. it's yeah, I know it's just like this or this. So there's a right and the wrong. Right. But like with creativity, it's just like. It, it might be right. Mm-hmm. It might be wrong. I don't know, but it's like it might be wrong for this, but it actually might be right for the. It's not a clear yes/no distinction, and I think those that maybe do well in that sort of yes/no world, it's hard to take those chances that are out of the box that are very weird. Mm-hmm. And totally. yet, for people that are like, I don't really like yes/no, but I do love really experimentation and like odd combos because. That's where you get the best combos. I I remember vividly a conversation I had when we were making our record with Howard. Um, there is a section of a song that goes C, A, E. Doesn't matter the the type of chord. It was just C A E. Mm-hmm. There was a little synth loop that he put in that went C A. And then it looped back to C when we all went to E. And I was like, I was like, that can't go to C. We're playing a E minor chord. Like there's, yeah, that sounds, that's terrible. Like you're not supposed to be able to do that. And he just goes, so what? Who cares? <laughs> sounds fine. And I listened to it and I was like, oddly, it does sound fine. Sound fine. <laughs> Is this shouldn't work, but that's fine. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. You know, we don't need to tune one of those notes. That's fine. So, and I I do think, yeah, while it's important to have those rules and that theory, especially from a brain like mine, I like having that foundation, but also it's, it's important to be like, you know what shouldn't work, but we should try. We should try. Yeah. Let's turn, let's, let's turn the high end all the way up on the snare. Why not? Um, just, yeah, just random. If you have an idea, like I said, just try it. It might, it might, it might suck. But it might be rad. But I think that's refreshing to hear because I think people are so conscious about, you know, offering ideas, opinions, thoughts, because mm-hmm. they're like, what if it's wrong? Right. Or that's why they, you know, don't finish songs sometimes because they're still rewriting the first part and rewriting the first part and rewriting the first mm-hmm. part. And meanwhile, it's like, well, what's the chorus? Oh, I haven't gotten there yet. I'm still <laughs> rewriting the verse. And it's like, well, shit. It's just like, well, well, stop it. It's just like that over analytical and critical mm-hmm. brain because they're looking at everything and they're like, it's got to be fucking perfect. Right. And it is it is tough. And, and our band is guilty of that. Like everything we write or release, we feel has to be great or better than what we did before. And that yeah. that makes 
that makes writing and creating tough. It's a lot of pressure to put on yourself when, you know, in the end of the day, it's, it's going to be a body of work. And it's, it's a lot of times to get to something great, you have to, you know, you have to, you know, put out a few stinkers. Um, so I think doing the process is, you know, it's, it's like that whole 10,000 hours thing. Like you can't just focus on the one idea until it's great. It's like, let's, let's focus on a lot of ideas. And then at the end of the day, when there's, when there's that one really good one, like we'll really focus on that, but we didn't get to that without talking about all this other stuff that may or may not go anywhere. You know what I mean? I think again, that's people need to hear that because they just don't. Yeah. And, and a lot of time that a lot of time it is self editing too. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a lot of time there will be maybe a song idea that Tyson had or a part that I had that when we bring it to one another, we're really excited about it and we think it's great. But we both went through a lot of self-editing to get there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, that's also part of the process of what I'm saying. It's just like, don't be afraid to just like work on crap for a little bit until until you find the thing that you're excited about. Which I think people don't. They think it needs to be this this glorious, like, this is my... And it's like, no, it can be a song. Yeah. And literally, that's it. It's like, it's, the whole purpose of that song was to exist to get a better song. Yep. People here in Nashville write 300 songs a year with the hopes that somebody will hear two of them. And I think that's why people are like, oh, <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah. Uh, but it is. It's just like, it's just treating like, hey, that was a song. But you know what? You could probably write another song. It's like you could go back and re-edit that song, that first one that you did years ago, or you just write a new one because that's basically what you're going to be doing. You're going to deconstruct <laughs> the hell out of that first one. Um, right, and some, sometimes, you know, if, yeah. if, if the idea is meant to be, it'll find a home eventually. But, um, but yeah, another thing that I really subscribe to that was really hard to get around to, for a long time, I think I was always waiting for something to come to me, like... Mm-hmm. shower thoughts or something like ooh that's a cool melody or oh, that's a cool idea yeah. for that and yeah sometimes it, it does help to like step away from something and like sleep on it or whatever but for the most part it's like I like coming in here every day and working on something it makes me feel um, like I have purpose I've, I feel yeah. fulfilled I'm excited at the end of the day I'm like you know what I don't know if that's any good but I feel really good that I did it and that I pushed past that maybe maybe that just like a little bit of dread or a little bit of hesitancy coming in here i'm glad i pushed past that and i was creative today and that felt really good so that's another thing that i've i've come to subscribe to later in life than i wish i would have but it's it's been really really rewarding what you're describing is uh kind of what Angela Duckworth in the book Grit talks about. I don't know what that is. It's a great uh it's a great book about those that are consistent in their craft or like do well in their craft. They're the ones that are just consistently showing up that continuous daily. Little bits, little bits. They're learning, mm-hmm. they're applying, little bits applying. And the ones that are quote unquote that they say like, oh, it's based on ta- it's easy to say they were talented. Uh they end up actually plateauing. They don't really do that much because mm. like they kind of just they were never curious. They they were just like it came curious, supernaturally, yeah, and then for it. and it just they just kind of plateau. It's like the ones that do well. In, I'm not picking on school, but like you know <laughs> the valedictorian that's like does well, and then you go back to your hometown. And you're like, what are they doing? And then you're like, oh, they're just doing an office. What happened? Because 
they got kind of it was very easy but then when things started to be like well you may have to do this alternative route it doesn't really work out because they're kind of it's fighting against what they know the ones with grit are it may not work out but they're intrigued why it doesn't work out right and then they lean into it and then they go well let's just do it again and do it again and do it again and that's where they refine the process refine the process totally you said something there that i think is is the key is just always be curious like yeah. and, you know, like I was saying, I'm I'm always wanting to learn, so I guess that's curious. I like that a lot. What was the what was the book again? So it's called Grid. Grid. It's by okay. Angela Duckworth. Okay. Um, she had what am I what am I saying? I never I never I never read. It took me a fucking year to get around to this Rick Rubin book. Dude, so. you need to do you got to do Blinkist. You a Blinkist is essentially a little app that does a synopsis of books. So what it is, it's so you like can cliff notes it, for the, for the yeah, iPhone. it does like so you could just be like yeah, it's like you can do fifteen minutes of one book and that's it. So it's like if you got like a forty five minute commute or you're driving somewhere, you could listen to the same book three times in a row and kind of really soak it in. And it gives you the the highlights or the takeaways. Do kids even know what cliff notes are anymore? I don't think it is because they just ask Chat GPT. They're just like, tell me the synopsis. Wow. They're like, just tell me what okay. it is. But. I remember I loved Cliff Notes. That was great. That was yeah. my that was my go to. It's just like I don't really care about this Shakespearean thing. What is it? Okay, cool. So that's right. what happens. That's awesome. I do love audiobooks though. Um and there's a few that I feel like are better to listen to. Like the I'd listen to the Dave Grawl book on a road trip. That one's mm-hmm. fun to listen to because it's him telling the stories. Just talking the story. Um, yeah. Rather than you know, rather than reading it. But uh I mean what okay. I I didn't read it. I only listened to it. I'm assuming that that was the right thing to do for that one. (laughs) I think it is. I think however you choose to consume a book Mm -hmm. or a story, that doesn't, you know, fine. It may be audible. It may be reading. It may be actually, there's books I bought that I never bothered reading. And then one day I was like, I'm really curious about this now. It was like I bought that book for like years later. Yeah. uh, My house is full of them. (laughs) Maybe one of these days I'll get around to reading them. Well then, next episode we'll just do top top books and top coffee spots. I but feel dude, okay. I, I feel like um, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, we all talk about coffee spots all, yeah. all day long. Um, but I feel like with reading is were we just yeah. like was that beaten to our brains that we had to actually physically do the act of reading as as kids and in school because like we had to like learn how to read and like learn how to do it at a like a normal pace or whatever or like is reading a book and listening to a book the same if like you said however you consume the information is fine so long as you're getting the information that you're after i think we were drilled with it because they didn't foresee uh the the span of how they that there would be that, another way to consume well there are always books on tape remember that you could check them out of the library but then I think for kids, they're like, ah, oh, then we have to get the students tape recorder. It's just like, we're not paying for tape recorder yeah. for kids. Yeah, now it's everybody like, has fucking iPads much. in school. So now it's just like, they that's maybe, they thought it was just, this is the right way to consume information. Right. And if you're not doing it this way, there's something you're wrong. You're rotting but your I brain. Think, but I think now there's just so much, so many different ways to do it. That totally. I don't think that there's a wrong way. It's just, the more that you can connect it to what you want to do, the, where I got into reading was, oh, it relates to what I'm interested in. Cool. You got me. I'm ready. Right. But I just, if you can't bridge that gap for me, uh, you know, yeah, I can understand why half the books in high school and school I didn't read or yep. they were just like, oh, it's not a good, you know, not good at reading. Yep. It's like, I just didn't care about Still it. Still never it's read like, Beowulf. 
Oh, but fucking Beowulf. I got don't a fucking even A in that it, class. Oh, I <laughs> barely passed. I remember it was all Beowulf, and it was just like, what is this? How does this apply? How how am I going to get a loan on my house? How is this going to apply to escrow? I don't oh, get shit. it. It's like you can't bridge the gap. Right. I can't. Um, but, dude, this was so good because I think this is really refreshing for people that you can have a creative approach to recording that you can try out of the box things that you that you don't have to necessarily go with like one way or the highway like it has to be exactly like this that you have some leverage to do some out of the box things and be creative totally and you know i'm i'm guilty every day of having to push myself to be like oh like so so you know the basic way to do it now do it differently or your own way or just a fun way um something that inspires you um, and yeah, like just with the like amount of work that's coming through here now, like I don't always have the time or the budget to do that on every project, but like I, I do try to learn something new and do something new on everything that I produce. Um, whether that's a new, using a new piece of gear or just using an existing piece a different way or, you know, and I always try to learn a new keyboard shortcut. Because those are, <laughs> those are fucking great. gold. Um, I yeah. If each song or project that I work on, I can improve my workflow, learn something new, and do or use something new. I'm happy. That's 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 my goal with every project. Dude, I love this. This was so good. We'll we'll have to do more. We'll do a, a book review and then a coffee <laughs> review next time. Yeah. I've got like 10 that have been sitting on <laughs> on the table behind my couch yeah. for like, you know, ever since I moved in. It just, they just, <laughs> it just keeps getting taller too. I'm like, ooh, I might like that someday. Ah, oh, dude, this was so good. <laughs> thanks for, thanks for being here, Nick. Dude, thanks for having me. That was a blast. And that does it for this week's episode. Listen, this is episode 84. If you've been enjoying our podcast, guess what? I'd love for you to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Just click those five little stars and talk about your favorite episode. Believe me, every single review helps and starts to bring notoriety to the podcast so that we can start bringing even more amazing people. And guess what? We've had some pretty amazing guests, but you know what? We're always looking to do more. So Apple Podcasts, leave us an amazing review. And of course, this amazing episode was edited and produced by Chris Fallius. I'm Mike Myers. Thanks for listening.